This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Matt Schlapp, it is wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Great to be with you, Peter. Great to have you. And of course, uh, Matt Schlapp, 10 years at the helm of CPAC, and we'll get into all of that. People can follow you there as your Twitter handle at mschlapp and also cpac.org uh, to make sure if you haven't already got tickets for CPAC coming up on the 21st of February, you can click that and you can get those that are available. Um, and many things, uh, two books actually uh, from Matt Reagan at CPAC, The Words That Continue to Inspire a Revolution. Um, and the latest book, uh, 2022, was The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. Um, Matt, maybe we can start before you were with CPAC, you had a political background. Maybe you want to start there and just let us know what your political background was uh, before we jump into CPAC. Yeah, well, uh, basically, uh, as a kid, I loved politics and I used to watch C-SPAN and uh, knew the names of all the congressmen of the day that would take to the floor and make fiery speeches. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was always Republican. I guess I wasn't always conservative, but uh, I became more so when I got to college and saw all the silliness that many of us saw in college. And it was pretty tame back then, let me tell you. Uh, nothing like today. And I uh, started a conservative magazine when I was a student, um, and, you know, raised money and was able to print it with some help of some uh, third order uh, Catholics. Uh, and uh, from there, I just stayed involved in politics, volunteered for campaigns, ran a state rep race in Kansas, uh, helped run a congressional race, which ultimately was successful, came to D.C., hung out on the Hill for five years, and then was hired by the Bush campaign in 2000 in Texas and helped on that great campaign uh, in 2000, where we won in a runoff in Florida um, and uh, eventually um, got on the board of ACU. And now I'm the chairman. I get to do all kinds of politics. What what was that like working uh, with George W. Bush on that campaign? That must have been fascinating. He's an interesting guy. You know, he's 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 brass. He's uh, he's aggressive. Um, these people are 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 very similar. Uh, when you when the TV cameras are off, they're hard driving people. They want per perfect uh, performance from everyone around them and themselves. They're hard on themselves. They're hard on the people around them. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a lot at stake in 2000 in the world. But, you know, what's interesting is there's so much more at stake now. And there was a lot of things Republicans were getting wrong back in 2000. I think we've self-corrected. Um, but it was a different time. But the people are, are very similar. You know, I see all these the conversations about, like, Obama. What a sweetheart. What a gentle soul. Uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe a word of that. I, I believe that he was probably pretty hard to work for. I hear he doesn't like people very much. George W. Bush actually did like people, um, but he was tougher to work for than Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney was a lot easier to work for. That would, you know, change the stereotype. My wife worked for Donald Trump, and she thought he was actually pretty wonderful to work for. So it's interesting when you get a, a glimpse of who the actual people are. 
Tell us how someone ends up leading the main conservative political conference in America that's literally known throughout the world. Uh, you know, I wish I could tell you I, I had a great plan to get here. I didn't. Uh, I try to listen to God's voice. Um, but beyond that, I I, I kind of uh, just stay focused on the future and go. And so it, it kind of fell in my lap because they were in financial problems. Uh, CPAC ACU was always in financial problems and uh, they got into another financial mess and they were having trouble digging out of debt. And so that chairman uh, left and there was kind of nobody who wanted to be chairman, believe it or not, or no one who thought they could kind of fix the finances. So I was an idiot and raised my hand and said I would do it. And I got a line of credit from a very dear friend who got us out of debt and we started um, cash flowing better because we did a much better job of uh, raising money and being authentically conservative. The other thing CPAC has done, uh, at, at least one point in its history, is to wander into kind of more moderate Republicanism. And I think we've cured that problem uh, very substantially with some great staff like Dan Schneider and others. And uh, so, you know, our financial problems, you know, they're never solved when you run a nonprofit, but they've been healthy for this stretch. They're very healthy now. And um, we're ready for this fight. I mean, chair for 10 years, when you look back, uh, kind of, what has that journey been like from the beginning? You touched on that, and when you came in, there were financial issues, and you stabilized that. Um, but what has that journey been like as, as you look back and realize where you've ended up? Well, it's been, you know, the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, people might think it's easy uh, to give speeches and uh, put on a conference, but it's really hard because CPEC's always had this special role in American politics and increasingly in politics around the globe. And because it's special, it's very much attacked. And we get attacked as much as anybody gets attacked. We don't have a voting card. We don't uh, have any government power, but the left really hates us. And I think what they hate most about us is um, we're a place where conservatives come, obviously, and gather together, but they don't have anything like it on their side. Now, the communists have things and obviously Davos is going on and they the globalists have their thing but uh CPAC is this very special time when conservatives can rally together as I said it's increasingly uh international in flavor and we're not going to stop no matter what these leftists try to throw at us uh we'll we'll get through the attacks uh as I said it's a very hard thing to get through the month of CPAC but then we get to the other side and we have a really important election in America and we got to be ready for it well, I um, will not forget being there last year, and I've been at so many political conferences in the UK, and you watch CPAC from abroad, and you think, wow, that pizzazz, that energy, that flair, it's a million miles away from anything we have in the UK. Um, and yeah, I had that media row with, with Steve yeah. Bannon holding court there. I mean, the last evening with Trump speaking for 90 minutes. Um, and it was just a glorious spectacle of pulling people in. And just the whole event, I certainly thoroughly enjoyed being there last year. Yeah, we're glad you were with us. We hope you come back. And, you know, I think it's an annual voyage for a lot of people. Uh, you're going to see a lot more people from around the globe coming. Um, we're actually going to do a special meeting with international people the day before CPAC starts because we just have so many now. We have so many countries that are asking for CPACs in their country. And it's hard for us to, to navigate all that. But um, I agree with you. There's, you know, I used to say it was a three-day uh, 
uh, crash course in the state of American democracy. Um, and now it's something mo- more important than even that. It is almost like a psychological boost for all of us who are canceled and depressed and despondent over the idiocy and the 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 momentum socialism, communism, Marxism has in our institutions and in politics. And it's easy to get really discouraged. A lot of Americans are like buying RVs and uh, you know ranches and trying to figure out a way to stay away from the cities and they're getting ready for things to get a lot worse. And I suppose I have one foot in that camp, but my, my other foot is firmly planted in the idea that we can still change this. I mean, I always look at our last election and I say, you know, the reason why there was so much cheating is because there's less of them. When you have a majority, you don't cheat, you just win. And when you have a minority, you figure out clever, illegal ways to try to win. And that's what's going on in this country. And that's not going on just in elections. It's going on in boardrooms. It's going on in the media companies, in the major media companies, going on in social media. You have this small niche group of powerful, wealthy people who are diabolically trying to shut down the voices of everyone else. And Yes, they've had great success in doing it, but I still think we can turn the tide. I think a lot of it has to do with whether or not Donald Trump gets elected president. Yeah, hugely. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. But you mentioned about that international side. And of course, CPAC under your leadership has grown to what Brazil and Japan and yeah. Hungary. And I didn't actually realize Israel also. I saw some of the videos last year yeah. in Israel. Tell us about that kind of expansion obviously was that intentional was it people approaching you how how has that happened yeah you know it's once again i'd love to tell you i had this great plan that was you know single space 10 pages of our takeover of the world but uh, it doesn't exist what ended up happening is we improved our our product in america we improved our production uh, uh, it became the thing everyone covered left and right. Here's where all the conservative politicians were going to assemble. Here's where all the presidential candidates were going to assemble. And then I think people started to see it over the globe. It was a couple of things we did. You know, it sounds stupid now, but uh, we used to not share our content. We used to say, no, if you want to come see it, you got to get a ticket, kind of like pay-per-view, I guess, or something. And uh, Or I guess not even allowing pay-per-view. You just had to be in the room. And, uh, and one of the first things we did is we said, well, that's stupid. We want everyone to see our content, even for free. I don't even need to make money on that. Let's just, let's share conservatism with everyone and all the controversies and everything else. So we started to do that. And then our, um, our global reach, uh, you know, became big. And then people started calling us saying, Hey, we want to do one of these here. It started in Japan. As you said, we then moved to Korea and, uh, Australia um, and then Europe got into the game, and we have a very important CPAC every year in Hungary. And then South uh, South America got in the game, and uh, the Bolsonaro's wanted to have one in Brazil. We have several Central American uh, countries who want to have them. Um, then Mexico with Eduardo Verostegui got involved, um, who's a great guy and a good friend. Um, so, yeah, it's we've we've got global reach. We're in all these continents, and uh, the partners are amazing. And I don't see it slowing down at all. Well, tell us what that kind of relationship is like, because some of those countries have strong uh, conservative political groupings, obviously Orban in Hungary, um, and when Bolsonaro was in in Brazil. Other countries, it's much less so. I mean, how do you see your role fitting into those countries, especially some that maybe don't have a well-known conservative political entity? 
Yeah, so it's kind of different in every country as you diagnosed. Um, you know, when uh, there is uh, electoral success and our ally is in the uh, the executive office, it makes it a lot easier to do these things. When they're out of power, you can you can get arrested. I mean, we had a CPAC in Hong Kong; it was very dangerous. Um, so it just really depends on the countries. What I think is more interesting than even like how much conservative architecture they have in a country and and even if they even share the same terms like conservative and does it mean the same thing it's a slightly different no matter where you go and what i think is interesting is how the left pushes issues everywhere and conservatives really don't do that we focus we're nationalists we focus on our country we don't really focus on the other countries now american presidents like joe biden when they get into office they push all this smut and all this progressivism through their foreign policy we just tend to pursue basic terms like democracy and religious freedom through ours, anti-communism. But the, when the left takes power in America, it's all about the trans stuff. It's all about teaching kids about racism and teaching these kids that America is a bad place instead of a good place is as insane as that sounds. So um, each one of these countries, we've sometimes seen what's coming to America because it hit that country first. And other times the disease has already hit America, this disease of woke Marxism. Um, on a particular topic, and then you can see how they're starting to push it into the other countries. So we really can compare notes about what's happening in different countries. In Australia, they had their BLM constitutional revision national plebiscite on whether or not the Aboriginal people, darker-skinned people, should have more congressional uh, or constitutional rights than light-skinned people. I mean, that was really a thing in Australia, and it was going to pass where uh, where they would give political rights based on the color of your skin, the exact opposite of what Martin Luther King preached uh, in America. And I assume that they'll try to do that in America too. Uh, so it's interesting, these battles, to see how they're successful. And then we try to copy those things to be successful here as well. And how do you mean conservative concepts? Uh, the Probably, first of all, in, in those countries. Um, uh, have you found it? it is the same understanding that you can take it doesn't matter whether yeah. you're in america or japan um how do you kind of conservative ideals pass over those borders well i think the the main difference is the connotation denotation kind of stuff where conservative can mean cautious careful traditional um and um not rabble rousing and conservative can mean new fresh uh, you know, revolutionary, um, incredibly rabble rousing. Uh, and, you know, there's just a, there, there's a piece of that, which I think American conservatives understand, which is we had this most beautiful uh, setups as a country and we're watching it being destroyed. There's a coup going on in this country to wipe out the constitution, our constitutional rights, wipe out democracy, having free and fair elections, the idea you can express yourself. And so do we want to be traditional and careful and calm in while that's happening in our country? Well, we can be, but then we're going to lose. Or we can be innovative and aggressive and pugnacious and try new things to hold on to the democracy and its wonderful traditions. And I think that's more the heart and soul and the spirit of American conservatives. And so, you know, it's having those conversations with other Europeans. Sometimes it's hard to see alignment. I think the Brexit vote in the UK and all your all great work there and Nigel Farage and others. Um, that seemed uh, a really aggressive, you know, for the UK to do something like that. 
Um, I think uh, it was incredibly brave, um, but I'm not sure how many other countries would do take such a step. I mean, no other European countries have or or have the ability to. So you have this problem with China. China is a more disgusting version of the EU, but it's controlling and it's autocratic and it's aggressive. And you know, you can see in Taiwan and South Korea, uh, South Korea you know, uh, the politicians are nervous about being too bold and standing up to China. So the influence of these global institutions and these really aggressive regimes like China um, results in a different strategy in how you push back. And I think American conservatives want to be very, very aggressive, not with our military, but they want to be very, very aggressive in using every tactic we can to get the left out of this country. We don't want to we don't want to put our political prisoners in prison, but we do think if you don't love America and its founding document and what makes it beautiful, uh, even if you're left or right, then you really shouldn't be here. You really shouldn't be here. You, you, should, you certainly shouldn't be able to have any political power, and you certainly shouldn't be able to acquire that political power in a corrupt way to try to shut the rest of us down. But tell us about that focus abroad, because uh, I know from talking to many friends in the U.S., and I think sometimes um, a very gentle criticism, gentle, but sometimes Americans can be focused much more in America. Yeah, where I think uh, elsewhere, certainly in because Europe is so small, I guess you've got a more international outlook. Um, I mean, tell us about that, because in one way, you've got a lot of work to do in america but another way i see it is quite positive that you're actually outward focused as well yeah i think that's right i think americans tend to focus on america and i think people who don't live in america tend to focus on america uh you know they speak our language we can get very lazy uh on this idea of being uh you know america centric and we should focus on our country i don't think there's anything wrong with that but there's great allies overseas and it's awfully important that we work with other countries because if America is able to push out Marxism, but Marxism uh, flowers everywhere else, uh, we'll be at war in like five seconds, then it wouldn't have mattered. So you got to have these seeds of freedom and liberty uh, be tended to in all these continents. And I think it's really sad that there, we, we've lost the idea of a bipartisan consensus on our foreign policy in this country. It's one of the many divisions we've had. We don't have it anymore. The left. Um, uses its power when they're the president um, to do the opposite of what would be in the interest of the United States. They're trying to help Iran. Think about that. The Biden regime is helping Iran. I mean, this is insane. Um, Israel's biggest enemy, the largest supporter of terrorism over the globe, and you know, colluding with China, maybe Russia, to, um, to bring instability to the globe. So um, it's very important that, and, and I would just say for myself, Let's take a let's take the high mindedness out of this. It's a whole bunch of fun, and it's a real charge to meet with people in other countries who are making the same fight or similar fight to what we're doing here in America. I feel great commonality, brotherhood, sisterhood with them, and um, it's a fight worth having. This fight against totalitarianism and fascism and silencing, and uh, and we're going to keep doing it. How has that fight changed? in the US and how has CPAC's rule changed? Because back when CPAC was formed, yeah. there was um there was more 
common understanding of a lot of the issues that we now see blowing up in in the culture war. So that, I guess, means CPAC's role has changed quite a bit. Yeah, it has changed quite a bit because, you know, Reagan was our kind of godfather and CPAC was established to really help Reagan uh, become president. That was a big part of that. Uh, Our history was a big part of helping Reagan. And so people that criticize CPAC for being too associated with Trump and a politician, um, those people don't understand our history. It was always to be political and was always to help the conservative politicians, namely uh, Ronald Reagan. And But there was a uh, conservatives were dis- dismissed back then, 40 years ago, 40 years ago plus. And Reagan and other conservatives of his day wanted some self-respect. They wanted the Republican Party to respect the conservative voice because we believed we were the majority, even though uh, I was pretty young at this moment. And uh, and conservatives wanted to show that they were the party of ideas um, and that uh, they should be taken seriously and they were growing. Fast forward, uh, CPAC's role is not just to give uh, Donald Trump a platform to talk about conservative policies. I mean, it's much more focused on action and immediate action, not just going to a conference and listening to speeches, but like getting very involved to stop this insanity of what's going on in our schools, teaching our kids about race theory and gender theory and hatred of their own country. Um, it's teaching uh, folks how they can push back on social media, what they can do within these big corporations, um, how we can expose people and how they can be whistleblowers, the great work that James O'Keefe and others do. Um, you know, this is this is much more of what the focus is. We don't really care now if the left uh, respects us or if the Republican Party understands we're the majority. Everyone knows that conservatives make up the Republican Party and we're the majority. That That's long ago been settled. Now the question is, can we get a coalition going from the center to the right to save the country? And, and it's, the, look, the question, the jury's out on whether we succeed the thing I hear overseas is if we don't succeed here, they're doomed overseas. Most countries believe that um, freedom will die on this globe if America continues to move this aggressively to the left. Uh, so it's kind of do or die. It's all about our future. Uh, it's uh, existential uh, for America. Uh, and I feel tremendous pressure this year to get the job done. Um, I think you're right. Whenever uh, the world looks, the world does look to America and many nations look to America for uh, leadership and I think for hope. I mean, th- that is that is quite a bit of responsibility um, because in many countries, the systems have collapsed further um, than the US. I mean, it is, a, I mean, talk about that responsibility, uh, having that mantle for CPAC, bringing so many together uh, and engaging on all these issues. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, <laughs> it's a lot. It is a big mantle, and you know, I think about those young uh, kids who we protested with in Hong Kong with Gordon Chang, our great board member, and you know, um, I'm I'm so sad about how that ended. You know, with COVID and the aggressive regime in Beijing, they were able to clamp down on the protesters. Um, I'm sure many aren't with us anymore. Um, I'm sure others are scared to death or somewhere in a camp. I think of Jimmy Lai, the great, the really brave uh, businessman from Hong Kong who stayed on the island instead of fleeing. He had billions of dollars. He could have taken his money and had a great life, but he decided to stay and fight. 
Um, I believe much of his family did as well, and he's in prison for doing that. And I think he's a great hero of our time, a hero for democracy, a hero for uh, economic freedom and the dignity of each human being. So these are real issues. I think about our friends in Israel. You said we had a CPAC in Israel. I think about that terrible attack on the kibbutz, and I, I'm nauseated by the response from quarters in America that uh, have embraced Hamas and this idea that Israel wasn't really ever a country till it was created in 1948 and that that was done because of racism and other reasons is uh, repugnant. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. I mean, why can't we respect each other? Um, why can't we respect people of different religions? Um, I think this is something taught to these uh, young Arab kids to hate Jews and to hate Christians. By the way, Christians are being persecuted all over this globe at alarming rates, and uh, that's unacceptable, and that's a fight we care about. We're involved in the fight against human trafficking, which is maybe um, the least reported and most diabolical aspect of our modern culture, the idea that kids, uh, refugees, immigrants, whatever the media likes to call them, but kids are literally taken from a country, sometimes sold into human slavery by their own relatives, and taken to other countries where they are, uh, you know, uh, used in sexual trade and uh, in, in other illegitimate pursuits. And we ought to be able to speak up about that. That shouldn't be a left-right issue, but unfortunately it is. Um, we've seen this with Epstein Island that the left covers up for its bad behavior. And it always just focuses on every conservative being immoral or terrible. And uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if you know this, but... Uh, it shouldn't be just Republicans who go to jail. <laughs> and that's what's going on in America. You have a lot of conservatives and Republicans who go to jail. They get convicted. They get persecuted, prosecuted, simply because of their political views. And the opposite happens in America. If you have the right left-wing, hip, chic views, uh, you're immune from so much of this. And that's wrong. And uh, we got to get our justice system back to be blind. Uh, Lady Justice is supposed to have a blindfold over her eyes because she doesn't care about the individual person as much as she cares about the circumstances that arise in a court of law. And we've lost that in this country. And Hunter Biden is uh, example number one, and the pursuit of Trump is example number one in all of that. I mean, yeah, how do you push back against that, the institutions that are hell-bent on, on destroying the country. I don't know if the, in the no. UK we call it the long march through the institutions um, and how communism has marched through and taken uh, control of large sections of society. Yeah. And how do you, when you're, you're bringing people together, you're obviously providing hope and that uh, grouping together is is exciting and people realize they're not alone all of that but yet unless those institutions are radically altered um it's uh, it, it's difficult to see kind of where that positive future is well i'll tell you it's very it, it is very nerve-wracking to criticize our department of justice because i do worry that they're gonna knock you know come to my door and um that's what they've done if you're too noisy and too effective, they come get you and they come get you on probably some different charges, but they find you. Um, they somehow find a way to tie you down legally. I can't tell you over the course of the last year how many people I know have called me, you know, crying because they're a subject of a quiet investigation, um, one that's destroying their financial security, their harmony in their house, 
their future, their careers. Um, and once again, this is a this is this is a crime that is perpetrated against Republicans over and over and over again who dare to be effective in politics. So yeah, I think it's worrisome. Um, they have so much power, and that's really you know I sound like a lefty now. I don't like these uh, law enforcement agencies having so much power. I don't like them having the power to destroy. I don't like them having budgets that aren't scrutinized. I don't like the fact that Republicans are you know, caving to the idea that the FBI needs a lot more money and a lot more power and a lot bigger, shinier headquarters when they did all of this terrible um, illegal activity aimed at Republicans. I mean, there should be a price to be paid. Let me tell you something else. We also ought to pay all the legal bills for all these people who have gone through this torture. Um, and on the other side, it, it's so transparent that it was done just for political reasons. They ought to be paid back. Um, there's no convictions. Um, if it's been shown to be a canard, anybody involved in the Russian collusion should have their lawyer's fees paid. It was all of a made-up political op by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And uh, maybe Hillary should pay all these uh, legal fees. She's the one who invented this whole story, um, and it resulted in a eventually in a special counsel and going through all the paperwork and all Donald Trump's background and then a, anybody who had anything to do with him. And, you know, same thing on J6. You have a you have a protest, uh, a violent protest, which a lot of us could barely watch on TV. It was heartbreaking. Um, we, there was a lot of questions and confusion and concern. But at the end of the day, um, four hours on the Hill has resulted in two years uh, of uh, being held in prison without being able to go to court. Um, thousands of people are being pursued. More people are being pursued for J6 than human trafficking. Think about that. Um, or other crimes that are happening in our society. Once again, the big mistake people who protested on J6, the, their biggest mistake was not breaking this or that law. Their biggest mistake was being a Trump supporter uh, because there's no acceptance of that. You can be a Black Lives Matter. The president of the United States can, can be waken up and moved to the bunker because they're so afraid that the BLM protesters will pierce the White House and not one person will go to jail. And if they do go to jail, Kamala Harris will bail them out, which is what she did with those folks. They were the Hamas folks were at the White House the other day protesting in front of the White House, violently shaking the gates. Not one person was arrested, but the, those folks who shook the security gates at the Capitol on J6, some of them have had their prison sentence sentences made longer for merely touching that gate. Now, I'm not saying that an unruly mob is the way we should govern our country. I think we should follow the law. Everyone should have to follow the law, but there has to be some fairness and how a Democrat is treated and how a Republican is treated. Well, we've had uh, Jake Lang on a few times, and he's one of hundreds uh, that are imprisoned. Uh, Brandon, we've had Brandon Strack on, and I know he has been hounded. Um, yeah, those yeah, are two examples. But how I, I kind of am curious looking at it and thinking, I don't know if there's enough anger at what has been done against Republicans and conservatives. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it seems to be hot air, but you're right. You're talking about paying the bills. That would be a, a place to start. And I wonder why that anger has not transpired into more action. Well, I think, uh, you know, unfortunately for the people associated with J6, they must feel completely forgotten. Um, but I will think, I think over time, more and more people realize what a travesty this has been. In the beginning, I think there was a shock uh, from a lot of Republicans who thought, well, this is not the right way to protest uh, what happened in the election. And I'm a big believer in uh, outrageous amounts of voter fraud uh, in 2020. Yeah. 
but still a lot of people didn't know if they understood what happened around J6. And one of the reasons they didn't understand is there was a, a, uh, a very well contrived, uh, we say narrative in this country from Nancy Pelosi and from the national media to give you one view of what happened on J6, to not share the information, to not share the security tapes. It's important for people who uh, believe that all these J6 people should go to prison. They should look at these tapes and you, you see these tapes. It really gives you a broader perspective of what happened that day. I'm sure there were some folks in the crowd that were more aggressive than others, but I know lots of people who were there. And the only thing they cared about was their country and making their voices heard that, that we should follow election laws. And the irony is the people that protested not following the election laws went to prison, and the people that violated the election laws did not. And that's just, in a nutshell, what the problem what's going on in my country. A hundred percent. Can I ask you the CPAC's sure. relationship with the Republican Party? Yeah. Um, I mean, since uh, since one Donald J. Trump has arrived on the scene, it, it's kind of changed that landscape. Uh, when you drop someone in who is a disruptor like that, yeah. um, and you now see um, kind of maybe different wings, maybe there were different wings in the Republican Party, but certainly from abroad, you see that uh, uh, certainly much easier. And I'm wondering, how does that affect kind of CPAC's relationship with the Republican Party? Because you you deal with everyone in the party, wherever yeah. they are on the spectrum. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I would say that in the past on our board, we had a lot of uh, committee men and women who were on the board of the RNC, the Republican National Committee. And I think that's less so now, even though we have some. Um, I think that um, there was a much closer relationship between the party and CPAC over a long period of time. And I think we view ourselves as plenty independent from the party. Um, I, I think we're actually more important than the party organization. Um, they usually have more money and they're like a financial institution because the laws are set up in a way where they can raise money in a kind of a better way, in a more efficient way. I think they serve a very important uh, function in our politics. But I think the biggest problem with the RNC is it seems so soulless to people. The Republican Party seems soulless to them. They seem, it just seems like they're mercenary just to get Republicans elected, and they don't talk a lot about why. Um, and I think that's why groups like CPAC are important, because we have very public debates and fights on what we should be, you know, what we should stand for, and why it matters. And why the grassroots matters. I mean, the other thing that's going on in America is this struggle between the donors and the grassroots folks. And uh, CPAC has donors and we have tons of grassroots folks. But uh, but the decision was made a long time ago that it doesn't matter how much money you have in terms of your voice. Um, and I think for parties, that's harder. They have to kind of kowtow to these people that write these large checks. Uh, we do not have to do that. Um, but, and, and I'm lucky because the people who write me large checks like the rabble rousing conservative nature of what we do. They like the fact that we didn't say no, we didn't become never Trumpers. I mean, I was asked to write an article for that original national view to say that I would never support Trump. And a lot of people I respect wrote articles and I didn't because my daughter said to me, dad, why would you do anything to help Hillary Clinton? It was kind of simple math in my head. Um, and I liked Donald Trump from the first time I met him. But a lot of people don't. I mean, that's freedom. You got a lot. You got the right to like people, not like people. Uh, and I think a lot of these people were just offended by the fact that he thought he was going to come into D.C. and just take over. And I thought it sounded rather delicious. So uh, there you have it. We're going. I think we're going to get four more years of this fight 
It'll be very painful for my wife and me. We've lost lots of friends who uh, we used to hang out with and we, we had their esteem and we don't have their esteem anymore. And I don't care. Um, we're going to do what's right. We're going to try to save our country. Uh, I think we're going to save the country. We're going to get a reprieve from this rise of Obama socialism. And, uh, and then the, I think the world's going to breathe a little bit easier. You finally have people being honest. Even Jamie Dimon said the other day that Trump's policies were better than Biden's policies. They were the right policies. So, you know, everyone knows that. They just don't say it because they're either timid or they're haters. And uh, I don't really want to hang out with haters or timid people. I want to hang out with patriots and lovers who uh, want to help other people and grow freedom in this country and around the world. And I think we're on the rise. I think we're going to get the job done. I mean, how difficult is it to stay out of those a specific debates on supporting one candidate or another because you'll have strong views um, and yet CPAC in effect is a coalition of of many people yeah. within the Republican Party and wider. Um, it, it must be difficult sometimes to stay out of maybe some of those discussions of backing one or another, especially in the middle of a primary. Well, you know, we endorsed Trump uh, before Iowans voted, but we had this debate at the board level as to whether it'd be better to wait until people voted until we weighed in and, you know, people have different opinions. There's maybe not a right or wrong decision there. My view was the campaign had kind of ended. We had all these silly debates. We had all these TV ads. We had all the fiery speeches. And the choice is pretty clear. Do we want to go back to Trump and Trump policies or not? And everybody was running on Trump policies, but we had the real thing. You know, why did we have to find the alternative when we had the real thing? And, uh, you know, when Ronald Reagan served his two terms, they all wanted to be Reagan still. But Reagan couldn't run. So, like, that made more sense. Let's find the best alternative to Reagan who embraces his policies. But when Trump is alive and vigorous and healthy and wants, wants the job, why would you then turn to an alternative? And it was, it was nauseating to listen and continues to be to listen to other candidates say, well, I'm younger or I'm darker skinned or I have uh, a vagina. Uh, you know, I, who cares? Like, congratulations. I'm very happy for you and your complexion and your heritage and you're this and you're that. But I don't really care how old you are. I don't care, uh, you know, how tall you are. I don't care uh, how good your hair is. I, I you know, are, are you going to scare the bejesus out of the regime in China? Are you going to scare the bejesus out of these woke CEOs who are destroying my country and our kids and our grandkids? Are you going to scare the bejesus out of the left-wing uh, NGOs that are doing everything they can to destroy my country. That's what I care about. Seems to me like that decision of who's that man, in this case, it's a man, was really decided already. And uh, so it seemed to me the right thing to do was to act and to endorse it. But you're right. These are these are tough calls. I think I remember, <clears throat> uh, obviously, at CPAC, Trump was speaking uh, at the end. I had been at uh, CNP a month before uh, Trump had called in, but Ron DeSantis was was speaking. And I listened to Ron's being thought, I agree. Yep, all sounds good. Uh, I like everything he said. Then you go and listen to Trump, and it's it's more on the gut level. It, it catches you, um, and that's something we certainly miss in the UK. That politics catching you at an emotional, at a gut level, and not yeah. just kind of ticking off. Um, and I think that's certainly what I enjoy watching uh, about uh, Trump—that he just catches yeah. people on a different level. He does. He does. He's a great communicator. Um, he's incredible. What people don't understand about him is he's incredibly well-read. 
He's incredibly well-informed. He's no kind of policy expert, thank God, but he knows exactly what's happening. He can get anybody on the phone and talk to him about a complicated issue, and he does. And he probably spends more time talking to people on the phone than any politician I know. And um, so he, when he weighs in on something, he's thought about it. He has always a clever approach, an interesting read on it. And usually it's, it's based on the input he's received from people who are working the problem uh, in that part of the economy or experts in some way. And I always, you know, when he says something everyone thinks is a little crazy or a little off, I've learned to breathe because I know there's usually a reason he's doing it. Now, there are times when I'm in the know as to why he does something because he does have information people don't have. Um, and there's sometimes when I'm not in the know. Um, but I've learned to not jump on the CNN bandwagon of why is he doing this thing that makes no sense because there's, there's a real method to him. And um, I learned that when he said that Trump Towers have been bugged. I was at CNN doing a hit explaining what he meant by that tweet. I ran into a very prominent Republican who chastised me for being a shill for Trump when Trump was saying something crazy. And I said, no, I actually had talked to people in the intelligence community and knew that he was being surveilled to some degree. So like I, I had confidence that he knew what he was talking about. But the, one of the things that's interesting about Trump is he doesn't use all the language of the smart set in D.C., all the acronyms, all the things, all the way we're supposed to talk. He talks at a much more kind of basic and plain level. And uh, when he does that, they kind of mock him and giggle at him. But uh, but the, but it speaks to the American people. And I think when you borrow the jargon of the jailers and the bureaucrats who are trying to destroy you, I think you empower them. And I love the fact that he uses his own language. And uh, it's one of the reasons why he's so successful. Can I just finish off just asking you about the the media? Um, and well, I will not even go on CNN needing Trump because he blessed their ratings. But on the other side, on the conservative side, with I guess Fox falling out of love uh, with Trump, the rise of alternative media outlets. Um, I mean, what role does media now play? Because the landscape is is very different from even ten years ago. Well, I think at CPAC we're going to be very very welcoming of these alternative media uh, outlets because. They've been very good to Mercy and I. Uh, Fox has been outrageously uh, nasty to Trump, unnecessarily nasty. I think Fox believes that they get to pick. Like you said earlier, isn't it hard to pick which candidate? You know, it's it's a real responsibility. And I think Fox believes um, mostly because they're in New York. And my parents were New Yorkers, so I can get away with saying this. But New Yorkers do always think they're in charge of everything. But they really do think that they will dictate to the American people what their tastes are. And they don't like their viewers. And that's one of the reasons why they're having so many problems. They used to respect their viewers, and now they, they're embarrassed to be associated with their viewers. And they're trying to get their viewers to change their minds. And their viewers you know, smack them back by saying, no, we, we actually want Trump, even if he doesn't appear on your airways very often. And for all of us who uh, spoke up for Trump for all that period of time, and we also uh, appear less on their airwaves, um, you know, it's a hard reality. It's been kind of unnecessarily nasty, even with friends of mine. And I uh, hope they self-correct and realize that when you're a media outlet, you're there um, not to be a political party, but you're there to have a forum to talk about these things, but more than anything, to report on the news. I'd love it if Fox got back to doing that, and I, I'd love it if these other outlets got back to doing that. I used to appear regularly, almost daily, on CNN and MSNBC, and I haven't been on their airways for years because uh, they believe Donald Trump is like a Nazi 
and uh, to associate with him with him is akin to associating with Hitler, and um, and I think that's just so disgusting, um, so arrogant, so wrong, completely the opposite of what's truthful. I mean, nobody was a better president for the state of Israel than Donald Trump. Nobody. Um, and nobody has stood up for the little guy more than Donald Trump. And I know this with his work on criminal justice reform, which is one of the reasons why he's getting historic levels of support from the black uh, community, because, uh, you know, he knows what it's like when government uses its power to destroy you instead of to help you. And, um, and that's one of the reasons he's appealing so well to these folks. But for these media outlets, I think this Tim Burr, push him over the edge of the cliff, uh, you know, if they're going to stay on the course they're on, just go away. And what many of us have learned to do is to turn off the television, get your news and and watch your shows on your devices and on your computer. Um, and uh, and you know, I was I was walking through Old Town last night, and this woman, black woman, it's, it's amazing how many times it's a minority. Even though, once again, that's not the most important thing in life. Uh, she got out of her car and she goes, "Match slap, match slap, I love you." And I was like, "Oh, do I go to church with this lady or who is she?" And, and I turned around and I said, I love you too. And, I, and she said, I know you because I watch you on War Room with Steve Bannon. Now, who would think that a black lady in Northern Virginia is watching Steve Bannon on War Room? But I'm telling you, more and more people are watching these alternative media sites and turning off the lamestream, the mainstream, the corporate media, which hates us. We should stop you know, subscribing to their services and watching their content. Yeah, the powerful turn of media. Uh, Matt Schlapp, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing with us, not only your political background, but um, the journey that you've had with CPAC. Really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I know it's a great show, and I appreciate all the great work you do getting the real truth out there. Thank you, Matt. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofvoke.org. Thank you for listening.